Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. Good afternoon. My name is Rachel Muscatello, and I'm here with Dr. Blythe Corbett, who is the Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Vanderbilt Medical Center. Good afternoon, Blythe. Good afternoon. It's nice to be with you. Yes, nice to be with you, too. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm very excited that we get to talk about something uh, that I'm really interested in and very excited to be doing this research. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited uh, to hear more about it. Um, Before we really dive into that and discuss uh, your research, uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about you, um, how you got interested in in research in general, um, how you got involved in your work? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a professor here in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Um, My lab, it's called the Sense Lab, and primarily what we are most interested in is children, adolescents, and adults with autism spectrum disorder. I've been uh, working with this population uh, for about 25 years, and they're so interesting. They teach me every single day, and the particular work that we're doing right now has uh, been one of the highlights of some of the research that we've been doing specifically on age and pubertal development in autism. Wonderful. Yeah, and so can you tell us a little bit more really getting into that adolescence and age? Can you tell us more about your research um, in that? Sure. So one of the consistent things that we've been studying in the SENSE lab is looking at social functioning, in particular social competence. But that's closely tied into the other aspects of functioning, in particular, stress. So when we engage with people, um, we can feel better, it can reduce our stress, but it also can enhance our stress response. And indeed, in children, adolescents, and adults with autism spectrum disorder, we've learned that social encounters specific types can be quite stressful for them. So it's an area that we've been really interested in. Mm -hmm. What we've also found along the way is that age or development is a really important determinant of stress as well. And so we've started to merge these two areas, looking at social functioning and stress, but also this important factor of development. Wonderful. Um, I'm interested, I'm curious, what drove you to focus on age and development? What inspired you to to really hone in on that? Yeah. So actually, several years ago, we had been looking at social interaction and stress in children just between the ages of 8 to 12 years of age. And you would think that's a pretty narrow age range. So why would we look at something like age effects? But it was a very astute reviewer, actually, (laughs) of some of our papers that asked why we didn't look at age. And that first clued me into maybe this is a very important variable. And indeed, 
it was and is. And so we've continued to look at age, but as our youth progress through this really important period of development, we call puberty, um, we've started to look at that more carefully because there is an important distinction between age and puberty. And we wanted to look at both of those independently, but also together. What is that distinction between age and puberty? Because I think most people would use a lot of those terms interchangeably. Yeah. So what I should probably say even more carefully is adolescence and puberty. So most people think they always coincide. But when we think about adolescence, that's more what we think of when we talk about age. And this is literally the age of the child, you know, like turning 13, we are now a teenager, we have entered adolescence. There's also strong experience and social factors tied with adolescence. But when we think about puberty, we're really talking more about biological differences, physical maturation, especially the development of sexual characteristics in our physical development and the onset and release of several key hormones. So even though puberty often aligns with the adolescent period, you know, when we talk about them, especially in our research studies, we want to distinguish them. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. So have you found any differences in puberty and development and changes in, in autism? Indeed, we have. Um, I'll specifically start with looking at puberty. So we have a longitudinal study where we've enrolled over 200 uh, young individuals with autism spectrum disorder and typically developing peers, ranging between the age of 10 to 13 when we first enrolled them in the study. And one of our key questions was measure seeing if there was a difference between these two groups in terms of pubertal onset. So when biologically is the onset of puberty? And we measured it really carefully uh, through gold standard physical exam, through parent reports, as well as self-report, meaning that the youth would report what they felt to be their own pubertal stage based on diagrams and descriptions. And what we found is not only um, a difference between those different measures, which we can get to in just a moment, but it was very intriguing that we found a significant difference in youth with autism spectrum disorder compared to typically developing peers. However, specifically with the females with autism spectrum disorder. And this was not um, something that was necessarily expected, although some previous research has alluded to potential differences. But they were quite striking, actually, um, that many of our girls with autism spectrum disorder already, by the time they were 10, the vast majority had entered puberty. In contrast, our typically developing girls, um, less than, significantly less than, than the girls with autism, had started puberty by 10 years of age. Wow. Um, have you have you found delayed puberty at all? Such a great question. Um, come back in a year or two and ask me that question because we're following the sample over the course of puberty. And so 
we haven't yet um, gotten through this four years of study um, to be able to determine whether that there's going to be differences in terms of delayed onset of puberty, but it's something we're very interested in. It's a great question. Sure. And uh, kind of tagging onto something that you said a minute ago, I'm just curious how uh, accurate are the kids and the parents in terms of rating their own development? It's a really good question. And in particular, because the majority of studies that are out there that are looking at adolescence or puberty generally use questionnaires. So either the parent will fill it out or the youth will fill out their reporting of their own developmental stage. Unfortunately, we have found that they are not very precise reporters, many of them. Um, we also measured by the gold standard Tanner staging, which is actually conducted by a physician. And when we compared specifically the parent report to the physician's exam, it was reasonable if you weren't specifically wanting to look at puberty. However, if you wanted a precise measurement of the pubertal stage, it, it was not comparable to the gold standard. And what was even less precise was the self-report. Um, this was particularly notable in the youth with autism spectrum disorder, being able to accurately identify what pubertal stage they were at. Okay. Yeah, so it certainly sounds like for the purpose of your research, uh, having as accurate of a report as as possible um, is, is necessary so in, to, in order to really uh, look at timing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you wanted to just look at a, a approximate stage of development, um, this wasn't one of your primary research questions, you could get away with using one of these well-established questionnaires, but for our purposes, we really had to stick with the gold standard using Tanner staging, physical exam. Sure. So. Uh, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the potential impact of these findings. Uh, these are some pretty interesting uh, results that you've shared with us, uh, especially in terms of early puberty and in girls with autism. And so I'm curious, what do you think the clinical implications are for girls with autism uh, in regards to this earlier onset? Well, well, we'll just following this particular sample of girls with autism spectrum disorder, we can learn a lot from the typically developing literature, which has consistently shown a greater risk for early puberty or even precocious puberty, um, that they're at a greater risk for things like internalizing disorders, specifically onset of anxiety, and depression as a case in point. Um, they also are, are at greater risk of being bullied and peer pressure. And they're at greater risk of really having quite a disparity between their physical appearance and their social abilities and their cognitive development. Okay. Um, is this something that you plan to 
to follow in uh, these participants as well? To Absolutely. Yeah, and in particular, the reason we're also concerned is autism spectrum disorder is characterized by having difficulty in a couple of key areas. One is social functioning, so social communication. We already know that adolescence for many people can be quite challenging in terms of the social world becomes increasingly very complex and task demands increase. So already setting puberty aside, we know that it can be particularly challenging for our youth with autism. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, autism also is a disorder where they often have difficulty adapting to change. And puberty, by definition, is all about change, as is adolescence. And so for both of those reasons, we're particularly concerned by if we see a group of adolescents, in this case girls, who are already having difficulty in a key area, social functioning, yet their bodies are developing more rapidly, it's really showing an even wider discrepancy between how they look, how they're able to interact, how they're able to understand the social world, how others are treating them. And so it's really quite a mix of potential risks and vulnerabilities for our girls on the spectrum. Wow, yeah. Uh, certainly sounds that way, and it's excellent that you're pursuing that research. Yeah. And, oh, One thing I did want to just add to that, though, is mm -hmm. I'm hoping in the process that we're going to find aspects of resiliency right. and to really mm -hmm. identify the girls and the boys on the spectrum that seem to get through puberty and adolescence quite well and to mm -hmm. learn from those individuals of what were key factors potentially that helped them along the way that made that transition better. And so even though we focus a lot on risks and concerns, we really are very interested in learning from our resilient youth too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to getting updates on that in the next couple of years. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Um, and I was just wondering, because we're we're talking a lot about girls here, and which is interesting because I think a lot of people who know autism or in the autism field, uh, when you think about autism, you think about boys being uh, more commonly affected. And so in your work with girls, have you found any differences in how girls are impacted? Yeah, we have. Um, so I probably should... Um, state that historically there's been many reports of the ratio between males to females has been about four to one. So four males for, every, um, for one female. However, more recent research suggests maybe it's closer to around 2.8 or three to one. And one of the explanations for this is that there may be a male bias in how we diagnose autism, uh, that there may be more girls out there, but the way they present with an autism spectrum disorder might be different. So for example, others have found that 
they tend to have fewer restricted repetitive behaviors and interests. So that might not flag concern as much. And they also, not always, but um, tend to be better in certain areas of social communication. In fact, in a paper that we just put out recently, we showed that females with autism have better vocal expression when engaging with typically developing peers than their male counterparts with autism. And so there's some clues there of how they might present differently. Um, the other thing, uh, an emerging area of research that's really very intriguing and exciting is this concept of girls being better at masking or what is referred to as camouflaging. So they work pretty hard to try to learn what are the social rules, see what they need to change in their own behavior to try to fit in. And while this helps them to kind of look better on the surface, um, there is some suggestion that there may be a cost to this, meaning that there may be increased anxiety, increased fatigue, these type of things in order to appear better than they might be feeling inside or to appear better than they ab are able to actually understand in the social world cognitively. Are there possible positives to this? I mean, especially it, this idea of masking, um, you know, if, if there are females that aren't being identified, um, is, is there, you know, something that the masking might actually be helping to strengthen? Yeah, so some ways that it could strengthen is to allow them to fit in more in the social world, um, identify peers and friends. Also, when they get out into the work world, being able to adapt to the changing social environment and fit into a workplace. So there clearly could be benefits to this. But on the flip side, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's potential costs as well. Sure. Do you think, considering what you found so far, that uh, there might be a change in how we diagnose autism specifically in females moving forward? There's certainly efforts that are out there by different labs and groups of people, in particular advocates. So individuals who are on the autism spectrum who are trying to um, get um, those of us who are in the field greater awareness that their presentation might be different and we need to take that into consideration. Um, the other thing um, is also really important is there are fewer females that are represented in autism research and even fewer individuals um, with autism who have a comorbid intellectual disability. And so while we've done a pretty good job in the field, we definitely need to expand our understanding of females as well as other conditions like intellectual disability too. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. That's really interesting. Um, I'm just really intrigued by everything that you guys are doing. Um, and, you know, I'm just wondering, do you have anything else that you wanted to share today uh, to tell us about with your research? 
Well, I just want to make sure that I highlight one quick thing, and that is that when we talk about autism spectrum disorder, just like any condition, you know, we often report, you know, average differences. But I want to highlight that there are individuals mm -hmm. behind this research that may or may not, you know, be part of, you know, having early puberty or be struggling through adolescence. Well, when we bring them all together in this group, that's where we are finding some of these differences. Sure. Um, but that doesn't mean it applies, you know, to all the girls that are out there. Yeah. But we still have a lot of um, work to do uh, to better understand this group, but also to help to educate and support them through mm -hmm. this potentially precarious developmental milestone of puberty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you uh, will not be shorthanded in terms of things to do <laughs> for the near future. Not at all, but actually I'd like to turn the tables a little bit if you don't mind. And um, okay. so Dr. Muscatello, you are really established in the area of kind of physiological stress and looking at some really interesting metrics. So what else do you think we should be looking at in adolescence or in particular puberty? Sure, yeah. I think that um, one thing that's interesting or that is really growing in interest in autism is um, this idea of physiological stress um, and in particular the autonomic nervous system. So this is the system that regulates our fight or flight response um, or helps us to calm down after a fight or flight response. And so you mentioned uh, Dr. Corbett talking about social interactions and social stress. Um, and so for our individuals with autism, if we can determine whether or not uh, there's actual biological indices or biological responses um, that are being triggered by these day-to-day -day interactions, things that we do every day, um, that could uh, you know, have some potentially important implications for overall physical health um, as well as psychological health. And so uh, to do that, you know, we look at uh, things like heart rate uh, and uh, cortisol of H, it's the HPA axis is what we refer to. Um, so we have several different ways that we can look at that. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, that definitely does tie in to social stress and in particular this area of puberty and adolescence. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's for social stress, social interactions, like, you know, you talked a lot about it. It's a, it's a critical time for, uh, for our kids, uh, both with autism and without. And so, um, you know, that relationship with peers and, and that, that body, the body's response to those interactions uh, could be a really important time to, uh, to look at, so. Yeah, well, we're excited to continue to follow uh, this dedicated group of kids and families. We still have a lot to learn, and um, we're excited about what the future holds. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like uh, there's a lot to be 
to be shared and um, lots to come. So that's very exciting. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to share before we sign off? No, just stay tuned. And uh, we're very interested in studying this relatively understudied area of development. And um, we look forward to doing a follow-up in the future and telling you more what we're learning. Yes, we're looking forward to that as well. Already counting down the days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we really appreciate you uh, sitting down with us today and sharing about your very uh, exciting, interesting research. Uh, and just uh, wanted to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.